Hello. Welcome to the show. It is podcast time. I am Tommy. I am a host. And today we roll out a new series. That's right. This is episode number one. Because between now and November, I want to track the spectacle that's going to become the 2020 U.S. presidential election. It is new series time. Cleverly enough, I've decided to call it 2020. And I figure that here, after the big primary events of early March, this would be a pretty good spot to start. The landscape has become clear enough now that it's going to be fun to start putting some shows down. Try to document these moments in time, because these are great days we're living, bros. We're going to have this little election here in 2020, decide the leadership of the free world and whatnot. And having a new podcast series about that whole thing sounds like a really good idea. For episode number one, I really wanted to kick things off with a conversation, and I was super fortunate because I bumped into a dude on social media who also seemed to be interested in this whole 2020 election cycle, and he was willing to get together for a show. Jerry is a really sharp guy, and I'm very glad to be able to share the post-Super Tuesday conversation that we had. Oh, one quick note though, and it's a bit embarrassing, I glitched a portion of the recording. Yeah. Mr. Super Pro Audio Engineer guy, I totally fucked up, so there's going to be this weird transition. I promise we didn't say anything foul that had to be edited. I just botched it. So, without further ado, let's head on over to the lounge for 2020, Episode 1, Martes Grande. Alright, heading out to the hotline to talk to Jerry. Jerry, how are you today? I'm good. I was, uh, you know, a little little sad after the Super Tuesday results, but then I've eaten about 55, 60 pieces of sushi in the last 24 hours, and I'm feeling much better now. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. I reached out to you a couple of weeks ago and asked if you would be willing to do a podcast after Super Tuesday. I had a feeling that there would probably be a lot to talk about, and you were somebody that I thought of that would be great to have on the show. That might sound a little bit weird because we've never really met and don't know each other in real life, but I'd connected with you on social and you stuck out to me as clearly an engaged and a thoughtful person. So why not have a conversation about life, universe, and everything? So compared to the other super things, it doesn't sound like you thought Super Tuesday was very great. What did you think of that whole thing? No, I didn't. Actually, when you when you reached out to me and asked me about doing a podcast for Super Tuesday, I was kind of like, well, sure, but like, my first was like, what does that have to do with fantasy football? Because um, I think that's like what we've sort of initially interacted over on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and I, I write for a fantasy football website. But then I, I kind of figured out um, that, you know, you're talking about the election. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I'm not, not super, super happy about Super Tuesday, but I'm also like, uh, it's basically what I expected. Um, you know, I wanted, I was hoping that Bernie Sanders would do better. Um, and, but, you know, with the sort of moderate wing of the party all coming together just right beforehand in those final few days, um, I think the writing was on the wall that sort of the, the best Bernie could hope for was like a small delegate lead, maybe a few dozen. Um, and that even that wasn't a certainty. And now it looks like he's. 75 behind, he might close that gap as they finish counting. Uh, but just looking at what states are still to vote, he 
he, you know, it was going to be a really tough pass for him if he wasn't up by at least 30, 40, 50 now. And instead, he's facing a deficit that large. So it's not not over, but it, you know, needs something crazy to happen in the upcoming debate or, I don't know, Biden to just do or say something even more ridiculous <laughs> than the usual. <laughs> even more ridiculous. He could really pop the balloon at any second, it, man. It hasn't mattered yet. It, he'd have to say, like, you know, one of the five words that you just can't say. That's <laughs> right. pretty much it, right? That anything else doesn't matter at this point. Uh, I was actually shocked. I could not really put my finger on why the results were coming in so Biden heavy. It just, it makes very, very little sense to me. Technical difficulties. Please stand by. But I do think that, you know, Biden benefited there. Um, actually, I think, you know, a few weeks ago, like the scenario that I thought was most likely was that we were going to have basically at least three people who had a considerable number of delegates. And that, you know, probably Bernie Sanders, maybe Joe Biden would end up with a plurality, but not a majority. Um, and that, you know, there are going to be at least three, maybe as many as five people with a significant number. Now it looks like there's only going to be two people. Well, in fact, there are only going to be two people with yeah. more than 60, 70 delegates because Bloomberg and Warren are out. Um, and uh, well, Tulsi's still in. Right, but Tulsi's not going to get over 60 delegates. She's only got, she's got her two delegates, and it's pretty safe to say she's stuck at two. Yeah, I think that that's right. And I, I, I've made no secret of my support for Tulsi. I, I find her to be far and away the best candidate but i'm in no way naive as far as how popular she is i think the best that i could hope for and i don't think it's going to happen either would be to have tulsi share the stage with biden and bernie at the march 15th democratic debate and again i i understand that the the probability of that happening is incredibly remote but to have her be able to stand up there and present a more of a thinker logical approach to things it's to her detriment to do that because I understand that what really attracts people seems to be emotional pitches. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Chris Hedges. He writes for Truth Dig. He was previously with the New York Times back in the 90s. He manned the Middle East desk. Chris Hedges has, has been a prolific book writer. And in a book that he wrote called Empire of Illusion, he was talking about how people attach themselves to a celebrity culture almost with their politicians. And the only way a politician can really break through and connect with the mass audience is if they have a, you know, a big enigmatic over-the-top emotional delivery that allows people to connect with them, you know, on an emotional level. And I don't know that anyone's really connecting with Tulsi on an emotional level. That's just, that's not the vibe she puts out. You know, as much as I admire it and think that's what makes her the best candidate is she doesn't go down the hyperbole train and she doesn't do any of that stuff. She just, she's very informed and she speaks very directly and she doesn't pander and that hurts her tremendously. Right. She She's very straightforward. Uh, and also she's, you know, once, you know, with Bernie and in the race, I think a lot of the people who might be interested in voting for Tulsi, uh, they, they're just, they're not going to not vote for Bernie as long as he's in the race. And then, you know, at this point, Tulsi has kind of become, throughout most of the Democratic Party, and not just the moderates, but, you know, a whole lot, kind of become a pariah, which is extremely unfair. 
you know, that's what happens when you call out the you call out the important, powerful people, and you know, no one no one really has your back on that. Which I think I've seen you point this out on Twitter that it's been, or at least I've seen other people point out, it's kind of been disappointing to see Bernie not ever stand up for for Tulsi because you know she stood up for him multiple times in the past, most notably quitting her job. DNC in 2016. Um, she really, she's a pariah among the voters that Bernie needs to win over to have any shot. So there, there are things you can do when you're polling at half of a percent that you can't do when you're in, in the mix to win. Unfortunately, I wish it wasn't that way. I'm so happy that you were willing to connect on a podcast because that that's a very, in my opinion, that's a very astute observation. And it's not lost on me that Sanders, even if you know he had the idea to put the ladder down and try and help Tulsi, it, it's going to be problematic for his campaign and his overall goal and i you know as much as i i am for tulsi i fault bernie not at all bernie's got to run the campaign he needs to run to try and get to where he's trying to get and that's fine um pariah is a great word uh it i'll never really understand i just i don't get how people can join the pariah train i fail to see any single action that tulsi has ever performed that would warrant the type of intense scrutiny and some of the really smears, no other way to say it, some of the vicious smears that she's had to endure, for whatever reason, that kind of identity politics group, they don't go near Tulsi. It's noticeable to me that people who kind of make their hill where they plant their flag being all the identity politics, and Tulsi's just not on the radar at all. Still a pariah. I mean, a lot of what makes her pariah is the same stuff that makes uh, some, you know, that makes Republicans a pariah to a lot of Democrats and to same with Bernie Sanders. The whole she's a Russian asset. She goes on Fox News, which is ridiculous because she goes, you know, if MSNBC, Andrew Yang did the same thing. It's like, she's not like, oh, she wakes up in the morning just stoked to go on Fox News. And it's telling because, you know, 10 years ago, I would have thought, oh, Fox News is totally, you know, they they only want you know one range of opinions and you know MSNBC and CNN maybe not great but they're a little better but now it's like the MSNBC and CNN like won't even let you on the air if they're worried about what you're going to say with I mean Fox News is mostly putting out terrible content but they do they'll make some space to like sure let's listen to this you know Tulsi Gabbard or Andrew Yang this kind of like offbeat Democrat character who doesn't actually we don't actually think has a chance to win the nomination um, and it's not like she's going on there and I guess people if she says anything that's besides you know that's not in line with mainstream like Democratic Party establishment views they see that as pandering to Republicans um, but it's not and her platform is not you know I, I see people now calling her like alt-right or like she's too far to the center it's like have you looked at any of her policies like no. in terms of she's she's much more she's focused on different things than Bernie Sanders but there's a lot of overlap there um she, you know she's more focused on foreign policy which is why I like her because that's kind of the thing for me that I don't know if I'd say it's the most important but it's the it's the thing that I'm Maybe, I guess I would say it's the most important. And the thing where I think uh, right and wrong and what's, what are the best ideas are more clear, I think, on economic things. Uh, a lot of, you know, I support Bernie Sanders, but I, I, I actually, you know, in terms of going policy for policy, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of it. 
um, I just kind of trust that he will fight for people who otherwise have nobody fighting for them, and that's about, and that he won't, you know, would try to get the country into unnecessary wars, cut back the drone strike program, all the stuff that I think is just clearly immoral. Um, I trust that he would at least make some kind of effort to stop that. Um, and that's really a lot of what Tulsi tried to run on. And the truth of that is, and there's a re- the reason you don't hear Bernie talk about it much, that most voters just, it was in the Democratic Party especially, just don't care. That hits it right on the head. I think it's a rarity that people could even speak to Tulsi's policies or Bernie's policies or Liz Warren's policies or Joe Biden's policies. What I think in that realm of celebrity, emotion-based, vote for an image, vote for a slogan for the way a candidate makes you feel, not necessarily what they've done or what they will do, but how they make you feel going to the voting booth. And you can tell your constituents, whoever they may be, your friends, colleagues, associates, when you put on that I voted sticker, you know, you can announce that you were on team good, whatever that is for any given cycle. But it was a painful lesson that I learned back in gosh, 2008 in the original Obama cycle. And I was Obama voter in 2008. Like just in case anyone's curious about my personal background, I'm registered non-party in California, but I caucus with the Democrats. To be quite honest, the the GOP platform grosses me out. I've never supported a Republican and I, I, I can't see any scenario where I ever will. I vote Democrat almost exclusively locally, sometimes a green. But when I kick up to the national level, I expect a little bit more from my U.S. representative and my U.S. senator, and I just I can't get down t- with the people that California sends to the U.S. Congress, and so far, the presidential candidates that have been grown out of California have not been super impressive either. The good news there is that my vote is meaningless. California is going to support the Democrat anyway, but where I was going with that point is the lesson that I learned was there were people out canvassing hard for Obama, you know, hope, change, this. It was, it was how it made them feel. And what I learned was if you ask somebody, okay, well, he's a short-term, you know, Illinois senator. What do you think of what he's been doing in the Senate? It's just blank stare. And you could still get that in San Francisco where I live, in Nancy Pelosi's district. When you see somebody out canvassing for Nancy, if you ask them, oh, you know, she's been in Congress for quite a while, since the 80s, I think you'll find, what's your favorite policy, you know, that she's ever sponsored? And people will just fucking stare at you like, huh? (laughs) You know, it's like, what do you think she goes there to do? Stand around and give floor speeches? Is that what you're voting for? I try not to to get super cynical about it, but I recognize that there is some political illiteracy in the channel. It is what it is, and Tulsi's a pariah. So, there we go. Yeah, you uh, you said the uh, the NP would... I actually, I live in Maryland. I haven't been to San Francisco in probably eight years? Eight years now? Maybe seven years. Uh, but I actually donated to Shihi Rutar, the guy who uh, is trying to primary her. And he actually got um, second place. Did you give to um dude who walked around cleaning up the trash? I God, I don't even remember his name. I'm so sorry. He was no, the I think the Republican dude came in third. I don't know who it was. Oh, oh okay. You you uh, I don't recall. Shahid Bhutan. He's like the he's like the far left uh, primary challenger. You know, basically a Bernie Bernie Krat, Medicare for all, Green New Deal. Um, I don't necessarily like, you know love all his policies again. Same same deal with Bernie, but you know he's. Giving Nancy Pelosi a primary challenge, and apparently she's like campaigning for the first time in a very long time. She's gonna win, 
She's going to win by a lot, but she's going to win by less than she usually does. Ooh, I think that I have stepped in this trap before, Jerry, and I'm going to caution you against that. <laughs> I really believed that, you know, the alt candidate could make a run and hurt Nancy in the district, and I have been dead fucking wrong every time so we'll see I, uh, yeah. I, I hope you're right we'll see but my expectation is set so low that i don't even remember dude's name <laughs> so okay well he i mean he never has a it's, i mean I, I i said that when i was making the donation like it's not that he has a chance at winning but yes 35 percent against nancy pelosi it, at least some some kind of message that i didn't give him money it wasn't like i was like hey here's 500 bucks uh, I don't even know if he accepts donations that large. <laughs> like twelve dollars or something. But right like, well, you know, if you like, if he puts up some number, like it, you know, it's useful to show, like, hey, look, we can talk to. But that might be. I think in the primary, she got like a lot. Like our plus the Republicans got like less than half of what she got. I'm pretty sure. I think she was up over sixty percent. Um, and obviously, some of the people who voted for the Republican in the primary will then vote for Pelosi over the, you know, over the commie in the, <laughs> in the, the general commie. in November. They'll sit it out. All 11 Republicans in the city will just sit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me turn the page just slightly here, and I don't mean to turn you into the voice of a generation or anything like that, but my understanding is you are a little bit younger than me. Let's call me 40, call you 30, under 30 maybe even? Uh, 29, yeah. I missed, uh, you actually mentioned voting for Obama in 08, and I thought I missed the... Uh I missed the cutoff by one month. Oh, wow. Okay, so give me a perspective how you see your generation, your set of friends that are in the same age. If you're making donations to obscure San Francisco campaigns, not only was I right about you being engaged and thoughtful, I think you might be an outlier, but hopefully I'm wrong. How, how do you square in with your social set as far as how motivated that you are? I mean, well, for me personally, it, it I think... There have been points, like, this is sort of the past six months, so I've been very interested um, in politics and in general things going around the world, trying to, like, kind of get out of the bubble of my life, and I work with fantasy football writers, like, very focused on football, um, and I like to travel a lot, so just try and take more of an interest um, in the places I travel, and just things like that, but for a long time before that, um, I was, you know, I think there was a period in college, one point in my mid-20s, where I got, like, really into things, but it usually be, like, a few months at a time, and then I kind of go back to, I wouldn't say apolitical, because I always had strong opinions on things, but I think I would be not, uh, not super informed on things, uh, and that was one thing also that I wanted to avoid, because I remember, like, back in 2016, I was, like, I, I didn't actually vote, but I was, like, uh, if I had, I would have voted for Hillary. And then, like, looking into that more after the fact, I kind of dismissed all the criticism of Hillary as just, oh, you know, Republicans just make the stuff they, you know, the Democrats are still saying that everything is just, like, made up by Republicans. Although now they blame Russians who are being, who are working together with Republicans, or sometimes they're working with progressive Democrats, or sometimes, I don't know, the Russians are. They're very busy, and apparently they know exactly what is worst for our country and how to achieve it. They've got their fingers on the pulse. Those Ruskies. They're so smart that they must 
be incredible at running their own country. So I don't know why we don't all just move there. <laughs> My feelings on Russia collusion are fairly well known at this point. I won't beat that dead horse, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's painful. Um, so interesting that you did not vote in 2016 and how well that syncs up with the kind of poor voter turnout for youth again here so far in the primary. It's historically been a difficult part of the electorate to to really engage. And even with all of the Bernie momentum and what seems like skews to a university and a younger type of crowd, it just doesn't show. It's noticeable once again this cycle. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the whole the Bernie's chance to, you know, to win in a one-on-one versus a moderate is totally predicated on the idea of being able to narrow that gap between, you know, young voters are always going to vote at a lower rate than older voters. Maybe not always, but, you know, throughout my lifetime and many generations before that in the United States, it's been a very consistent trend that it's at least like a double-digit percentage point difference even between, like, the 18 to 29 and then, like, 30 to 45. Um, but that Bernie could narrow that gap that he would encourage young voter turnout. And it seems like actually what has been more encouraged, at least on Super Tuesday, based on, like, the exit polls, um, is suburban turnout, middle-aged suburban and older suburban voters, um, which then I think raises, you know, people are saying, raises questions about if you know, Bernie can't get these young people to turn out now. Um, in a general election, you know, how, how is that going to go? Probably not well. Um, probably maybe better than having someone who's, <laughs> who's senile running. Yes. Uh, definitely all the, the years, you know, I tend to, the, the criti- I do think they're very valid criticisms of Bernie um, and that him and his supporters have played into an electability narrative that even if you're right, you're playing into a narrative that A, is stupid. It's all just kind of, you know, guessing at something that's very imprecise and making strong claims that can't be backed up. And B, it's a narrative that you are, I think it's very unlikely that that ends up working in your favor, no matter how well you navigate it, no matter how much you try to push back on it. Um, You know, the thinking that going to the center in a two-party system is the way that you win a general election. You're just, it's going to be hard to erase that thinking, even even though, as we've talked about tonight, like even though voter behavior is so unpredictable, um, so largely based on personalities, gender, uh, you know, the latest debate, what MSNBC is saying, there's so many factors that, the, you know, the, the old thinking is still there. And historically, moderates do do better in general elections. Um, and people who are further to the left, further to the right. Well, obviously, as a Tulsi supporter, I'm not someone who's really hung up on electability. But <laughs> you make up a really good point that it's going to be a major fucking problem if Bernie motivates a bunch of suburban people who are like, yo, you know, I'm not down with the Democrat socialist plan, so I'm going to show up at the polls this time, but then fails to motivate the younger voters that he needs to to not only counterbalance that, but to truly offset it. Um, in the general, I just got to put my faith in people as long as Bernie's the candidate and not Biden, that, you know, Bernie is one of two people next to Tulsi in this race that I truly believe is not interested in self-dealing. Like everybody else to some degree or another is a self-dealer. 
some much less than others, but whether you, I like the way they, they try to policy implement their desire or not, their desire is truly to help the people, as it were. So there's only two candidates in this race, as far as I'm concerned. I support Tulsi over Bernie, but I'll gladly vote for either of them. If Joe fucking Biden ends up being the nominee, he's indistinguishably, excuse me, I can barely even speak it. He's indistinguishably awful. Him versus Trump, it's, you know, six of one, half dozen of the others, because I'm not really down with any of the wackadoodle Trump is a fascist dictator or anything. I think we've got a bunch of years in the record now that show it's totally safe to make fun of Donald Trump. You don't have to worry about fascist dictator tanks in the street. You know what? You could jump out of a plane without a parachute. As long as you can crack out a Trump tweet, you're going to be just fine. So when it gets down to it, I'd rather have the Democrat platform in theory, but Joe Biden's Democrat platform is a corrupt, disgusting mess, and there's just no two ways around it. It's Tulsi, Bernie, or bust as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, so I'm, I will probably, if it is Biden, which it probably is going to be, I will very likely end up voting for him. Um, and I'm not, I promise, I'm not one of these people who's like, you know, vote blue no matter who, like, <laughs> the Bernie people, the Bernie people cost us, the Bernie people and the Russians cost us 2016 like, no, people shouldn't vote for a candidate that they are that they truly hate. Although I do kind of truly hate Joe Biden, and um, I just you know I think for me I see Donald Trump as a bigger risk. Not because he's you know not because he's a fascist, not because he's a dictator, not because he colludes with the Russians, because um, I don't believe any of those things. Uh, but just because I think he's kind of a dumbass. He like the things like the Soleimani incident. That's where I'm like, okay, Joe Biden is the most typical like old school democrat like he just collects money for campaigns and then he just does the bidding of where he got the money from to me that and just like letting you know that is better than like donald trump doing that like 60 percent of the time and 40 percent of the time just doing whatever he feels like doing um i think with joe biden you just have a lower risk of like ending up in some really, really horrible war. We might end up in, like, a pretty stupid war. Um, that's pretty much a possibility, just always. Um, but, like, you know, with Trump, I think, like, the Soleimani thing, it's like, you know, that my friend made the point, like, you know, Iran is not gonna, they have no incentive to go to war. They're not gonna, it's not gonna turn into a war. And that's true. It's very low likelihood. But even if, it's like, you have to use probabilistic thinking. Like, even if you you know, killing Suleimani sets off a chain of events that only has a 1% chance of ending in war. It's, it's in no way is it worth, a, you know, the even if it's only a 1% chance, it's such a bad outcome for so many people. Um, so I have a little more faith that, like, a Biden administration would be able to avoid that type of thing. I would imagine that it would go headlong into it. If history is any guide, that's exactly what's going to happen it's not a path I'm going to go down stubbornly or not. I will not compromise. I will not support somebody like Joe Biden. If the candidate ended up being Bloomberg, that's a non-starter for me as well. If people are, want to say, hey, you know what? I thought Hillary was the lesser of two evils. I think Biden's the lesser of two evils. I'm never going to really get in anybody's face or anything like that. But for me, that line is super bright. If I know to a certainty what is in your character, the way that I, you can look at Joe Biden's activities and look at Hillary Clinton's activities. There's just no fucking way. I'm not doing it. Yes. It's, I mean, it's a tough decision for me because it's like, 
you know, when you vote for these people, when you vote for a Hillary or a Biden, you're, you know, giving the, if you know, enough people vote for them, then the party can keep nominating people like that. Yeah. Um, but I guess I just, I think I've almost, I guess I'm, I'm too young to be that pessimistic, but I do think, like, you know, even this time with Bernie gaining momentum, my thinking was always, like, it's not, you know, it's not, it's a worth it's worth fighting for in some way, but it's not really going to happen, right? Like, we've already seen, like, the DNC email leaks from last time. Um, we know that, you know, he doesn't do very well against voting demographics that are very reliable for turnout. Right. Um, and, yeah, and the young, I mean, the young people didn't come out, and the well-off um, Democrats in the suburbs were, I guess, more scared than the, the young people were enthusiastic, at least on Super Tuesday. Um, and I, I worry that, like, younger voters like myself are a little more susceptible to, like, what's the latest momentum. And with, you know, if Bernie didn't have the momentum coming out of Super Tuesday and the young voter turnout wasn't good, that it's, it, might, it might be even worse um, coming up. But I, it's hard to know that for sure. I mean, it depends on a lot of things. Uh, and, you know, the debates can, as we've seen, like, in this election cycle, like, one debate, uh, you know, took a, away a huge chunk of Elizabeth Warren's support, and then Elizabeth Warren later did that to Mike Bloomberg. Uh, so, you know, and Joe Biden isn't, isn't very good at talking, so that should be interesting. Let me bounce this one off of you real quick. Set the odds for me that somehow the DNC and Biden will come up with story that they use to say that Biden will not take the stage with Trump because he's so offensive because of X. Would they dare run a no debate play and then try to have CNN, MSNBC just gloss it over? Oof. I actually thought what you were going to say was they try to cancel next weekend debate with Bernie. Oh, no, they've got to let that roll. They've got to. They have to. Also, Bernie is like, one thing I don't like about Bernie, he's like a total softie. Like, he'll he'll criticize. The only thing he really will go in hard on is billionaires, which I also think is kind of like a played out and stupid ploy. Like, it kind of reduces every problem to, oh, just take money from billionaires, which is a huge oversimplification. But he's not like, he's had so many chances to go after a Biden or a Bloomberg. And he just, you know, he'll, like, criticize them a little, but he just doesn't really go for it. Um, and I think it does kind of play into that, like, image or that belief that I, I'm i not sure how much. I think I buy into a little that he is, like, you know, the leader of a movement, but not necessarily, like, you know, I don't know, like, how much he imagines himself as president. Like, I think it would have been better for, you know, someone, another progressive to kind of take over the mantle for him within the party um, but it didn't, didn't really happen that way. So yeah, I want I definitely want to see Tulsi on the stage because I think that she will, you know, she can light into Biden in a way that um, Bernie won't. But I think the DNC comes spokesperson, like already said, that they're like going to switch the. Yeah, I saw it's that. It's just not. They're not going to let Tulsi get up there and after she crushed Kamala's dreams, <laughs> no chance, baby. Yeah, my dream is like one of these super anti-war people like Tulsi Gabbard or Mike Gravel like you know anti-imperialists um, who aren't afraid to just say the truth even though very few people want to hear the truth when it comes to uh, foreign policy just lighting into a Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton go after Joe Biden on Iraq I mean everybody knows that go you know on support for Saudi Arabia and Yemen just there's so many and 
so many things with Biden that you can criticize, and Bernie might bring it up, but he's not going to like, he's not going to sting him the way that someone else can, and it's probably at this point not in his best interest, because one of the things that, you know, the non-Burners in the party, at least they say it's not for a reason, is not liking him, but he's like too loud or abrasive, don't like his demeanor, that type of thing. I think that's a really good analysis. I think that you're absolutely right. I don't think that it's really a in Bernie's nature to kind of do that type of thing outside of the you know the billionaire and b I don't think it really would help him that much anyway. Why try to blow up um Biden's spot if it's completely out of character and it's going to leave you susceptible to Biden friendly media, you know, saying that you and your crazy out of control followers are just a wild bunch and whatever. You know, that is one of the potential Achilles heels for the Sanders campaign is if somebody gets loose at the convention and does something a little nutty that could steal incredibly important momentum. Yeah, and I actually just realized I didn't answer your original question. And I don't I don't think that they'll I don't think you can get away with uh, saying that you're not going to debate Trump. I know I know that MSNBC and CNN you know, a lot of media entities will kind of just pretend it's not that big a deal. Um, but, I mean, tr- you know, you just Trump is going to Trump on Twitter. And it's just, it, I don't think you can get away with it. I yeah, think it'll be tough. It's, it's a long shot. It'll really depend on how far he's gone by the time that rolls around. And if they, they can keep <laughs> his eggs from totally scrambling, <laughs> we'll see what's left. It's, it's unbelievable. This is even like... A conversation. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, I, I was going to say, let me pull it back before I, I turn it all cynical and pessimistic. The one thing I wanted to, to cover in closing is my wife and I are 100% team dog. And I can't help but notice that on your feed on the Twitter that you appear to be very much on team cat. So can you help me get closer to team cat? Well, you know, I'm actually, I'm, uh, I'm like a, apolitical or even on this issue um i grew up with a dog and i never liked cats like i always thought they were weird because you try to like play with them like a dog nothing they just run away and they hide <laughs> under the couch <laughs> it's like what is the point of letting it's like the, i feel like oh it's like the same thing as a hamster but bigger and the vet appointment costs more <laughs> and it doesn't stay in its cage <laughs> but then I, I ended up living with friends who um two friends of mine who were a couple uh, this is about three years ago, and they had three cats. And I was like, well, I don't know if it's a really good idea to move in as a couple with three cats. But they, two of them were kittens at the time, so I was like, oh, they're so cute. Um, and I really, you know, they're my friends, so I did it. Um, and they ended up ha- breaking up, uh, and basically neither of them could, like, take care of the cats anymore. Like, they weren't, you know, the girl Kelly moved out, the girl was allergic to cats. Um, and so I kind of just like ended up taking care of these cats and eventually like I moved out, the cats came with me. Um, so actually my roommate now, uh, my friend Kelsey, all, she has a dog so I'm kind of like in a, a zoo type situation. Three cat, one dog. Is that? Am I following the story that you've got the three, three cats and, and one dog? The couple splits and you take the three cats. I think that's yes, I got, that's I, got awesome. I got custody of all the children. Now, what is so damn funny? I could have swore you said meow. Do I look like a cat to you, boy? <laughs> Am I jumping around all limbly bimly from tree to tree? No, no. <laughs> Am I drinking milk from a saucer? <laughs> 
Well, do you see me eating mice? <laughs> hey, you stop laughing right now. But yeah, usually people say that like the crazy cat ladies, they get one cat and they're like, right. oh, it's nice, but I want more like, uh, I want more cat in my life or whatever it is that they is going through their head. And you just slowly, you end up with two, three, four. You're like, oh, like, you know, one of them will die. I'll take another. They don't die. Next thing you know, your whole life is just a bunch yeah. of cats. But I was just like, you know, one fell swoop, like boom, three cats. That's a little bit better because then the kind of adding to it, the stacking of the cat, because you're absolutely right. In talking with friends over the years, we have used the crazy cat lady, the cat scale. She's eight cat crazy, bro. Be careful. And then, of course, the absolutely terrifying. She's not just 10 cat crazy. She's ferret crazy. She's got a ferret, man. Ooh. So you might want to get out. Oh, ferrets are... I had a neighbor growing up who had a ferret, and you can like put the ferret on a skateboard, but other than that, it was not, not my favorite thing. Thank you so much for making a couple of minutes to join me to talk about Super Tuesday, the candidates, the election, and of course, dogs and cats living together in harmony. <laughs> 